listening to the food talk show Hi there my name is AJ Sharp and for the next 30 minutes we're going to be talking all things food and drink You might have noticed I'm not the Food Talk Show's usual host, Susie Warren-Smith, who is on holiday sunning herself somewhere lovely. Lucky thing. So I'm stepping up from the show's usual taste expert to hosting and pretending I know what I'm doing, which I don't. Um, I'm in very good company, though, because I'm joined by one of our old favourites and previous guest presenter, the lovely Charlotte Pike. Hello. Hello. It's so lovely to have you here. Charlotte, of course, you know, is a professionally trained chef, flavour consultant, author of several award-winning cookery books. She runs a pop-up cookery school called Field and Fork School and is the former chair of the Guild of Food Writers. Charlotte will be joining us for the next three shows as a guest presenter. Welcome, Charlotte. It's great to have you here. It's really great to be here. Thanks for having me. So today we're going to be talking all things honey and preserves. And I'm going to start by asking Charlotte about honey. Is it a staple in your home? Do you use a lot of honey in cooking? Oh, I love honey and I use it actually mainly in cooking and uh, as opposed to spreading. I tend not to really? put it on my toast, for example, but I use it an awful lot in my cooking. Uh, I try and buy some local honeys, um, try and buy different varieties of honeys to get different flavours. And I use it in cooked dishes and finishing dishes as well for sort of seasoning. Of the drizzle over. Yes, and, yeah. yeah. In exactly. fact, I put some on some tomatoes with balsamic vinegar <gasps> last night just oh. to bring out the sweetness. It was absolutely delicious. So, yes, I'm a big honey fan. Fantastic, that sounds amazing. Our guests in the studio today, we've got Chris Barnes from Black Bee Honey, welcome. Hello. And Jeff Higgins from the Wooden Spoon Company, welcome. Hello, thank you. Jeff, you're based just around the corner here, aren't you? You're, you're based in Y. Can you tell me a little bit about the Wooden Spoon Company? Well, yes, so we've, been, we've been based in Y since the beginning, which is uh, 1975. So it was founded by uh, a friend of mine's father uh, in retirement, weirdly enough. And uh, he, he started to, to sell in where he used to, to operate, uh, in the, the high food uh, retail outlets such as Harrods and Fortnum's. Uh, and uh, they said, well, if you're going to start making jam in retirement, we'll be your, your first customer. So we started off with uh, the high-profile high brands and have been working our, our way, not down, but sort of towards the farm shops and independent stores ever since. And you've got honeys in your ranges. Tell us a bit about your range. Well, we do a bit of honey, but that's, I'll leave that to my colleague here to, to talk about because he's, he's the expert in it. But we, we do a bit of honey just to, to complement our ranges. But our, our specialities are our jams, marmalades and chutneys, but our, our real USP, if you like, are bottle fruits, uh, which... Well, it's not that difficult to do. Uh, there is equipment required for, for, to do that. And we are one of the leadest, leading companies doing bottle fruits uh, in various shapes, sizes, all sorts of fruits from apricots to peaches to, to red currants, rum tops um, with various alcohols and syrups. Chris, can you tell me a bit about the Black Bee Honey Company? Yeah, yeah. Um, we've been running in this guise now for about five years. Me and my co-founder, Paul, we originally met in a design agency about 20 years ago. And we took a friend on a beekeeping course. We loved it more than him. I went to New Zealand. I worked on a bee farm over there. Then I came back and me and Paul set up a beehive rental company, which, which is a bit weird, but didn't make any money, a bit of an expensive hobby. But what we realized was the honey straight from the hive was the thing that caught everyone's attention when we sold it by the postcode. Postcode honey, it was ultra local. 
And we wound that company down, set up Black Bee Honey about five years ago, and we offer single origin, raw British honey, and that's, that's it. What do you mean? You know, when you talk about wine or olive oil, single origin usually means a farm. It can mean a field if it's hyperlocal. What do you mean by single origin? Because presumably bees can just fly wherever they want yeah. to fly. Well, we've put, so when we did the postcode honey, it was down to the, the individual postcode. We've now done it to the apiary where the beekeepers have their hives. So on the back of every jar, we've got the name of the beekeeper and the apiary where the honey was produced. So you can trace it back to that area. Oh, fantastic. And do you notice a great variation between all of these different areas? It's more seasonal. So we've got a seasonal range. So the honey that's produced in the spring is completely different to summer. That's completely different to the honey produced in autumn. There is a bit of variation. So if there's a summer honey from Wales, it might be different from one from Yorkshire because the flowers might be blooming at different times and different quantities. But generally, it's more seasonal than um, area-specific. Oh, that's really interesting, isn't it? Mm, fascinating, fascinating. The whole world we need to dive into today and learn more about. I know. I think because um, we do a lot of tasting, don't we, with great taste for, for, through the Guild of Fine Food. And we taste a lot of different honeys from different countries around the world. There's pine honeys and, uh, you know, honeys from the mountains in Greece and yes, all sorts. Isn't yes, there? absolutely. Yes. And a huge variety of flavours as well, from the intensely sweet to intensely bitter. Mm. So at uh, what I think is really interesting as well is how you can taste almost where the bees have been on a journey yeah. as well. And that sense of environment, you can sort of capture it in a jar. It's really fascinating. One of the most interesting honeys I remember tasting was a, a stingless bee honey. And honestly, the most sharp, almost balsamic vinegar flavour. Absolutely incredible. But the first time you taste it and you're expecting honey and expecting it to be sweet and everyone recoiled before going, actually, this does taste really great. It's just not what I was expecting. Totally. There are so many surprises in the honey world, aren't there? It's uh, endlessly fascinating. And we've got this beautiful array of products in front of us as well. They look absolutely stunning from the sort of creamy colour to deep amber. Really wonderful. Where do you think we should start? Or should we, should we, should we start or should we, do you want to talk a little bit through the range that you've brought in here yeah, today? Sure. Well, like I said, we've got a seasonal range, so it's spring, summer, autumn, winter. And it's what the bees have been collecting during those seasons. So spring is a soft set, creamy honey, mainly oilseed grape, hawthorn, dandelions and wildflowers in there. Summer is a medley of could be 50 different nectars. It depends what the area, like we were saying earlier. Um, it's a rich, runny, quite traditional honey. Autumn is ling heather. So that's monofloral. It's a very bold, punchy, strong honey. That one's very heady. Get your nose in the jar and you can really smell that one. And then winter is ivy honey. And it sets like... Oh, wow. Like Chris has just picked up the jar and held it upside down for our <laughs> listeners at home. And ap although it looks like a runny honey, it looks fairly clear. Absolutely nothing came out of the jar holding it upside down with the lid off. <laughs> so I think ivy honey, and I think I wouldn't necessarily associate ivy with a food product. So I'm really interested to see how that's going to taste. I imagine it's got quite a distinctive yeah, flavour. It's quite unusual. Not for everyone, but yeah. Try it. Brilliant. Where do you want us to start then? Do uh, we go from milder to stronger? Well, let's, should we do it in the seasons? Just so we yeah. go in. Why not? Let's do that. Spring is on its way. Let's start with spring. <laughs> now, Chris, on the top of the lid, it says plus 10 or 10 plus. What does that mean? This is the total activity rating for the spring honey. We had them tested in a lab, mainly for our own, just so we could figure it out for ourselves, really, because a lot of beekeepers say that there's antibacterial, antimicrobial properties to honey. Um, and we weren't to know until we had it tested. So it is, it's a rating for the antimicrobial properties. 
Um, this is 10, the summer is 10, the autumn's 15. It's a bit stronger. So 15 is more, there's more antimicrobial yeah. properties. And a lot of the, the bee farmers that will work that will call it, have often call it the British Manuka. Oh, okay, I was going to ask that because Manuka has these sorts of ratings on the side yeah. of the jar, don't they? But the Manuka is a specific plant, so we can't talk about that. Sure. So we've got to talk about the total activity rating as a whole rather than specific Manuka factors. Sure, that makes sense. Mm. Okay, so let's have a little taste of this one. Have we got any? Well, it looks absolutely stunning. So this is what you would call a creamed honey. Yeah. And the texture looks visibly very different to, um, you know, sort of runny honey. Yeah, so again, a bit like the winter honey, oilseed rape honey will set like stone in the honeycomb. So once it gets, you've got to take it out very quickly, otherwise it'll set. So you take it out and you put it in a massive stainless steel vat and churn it for 24, 48, 36 hours, or however long you deem fit. And that breaks down the structure slightly and becomes this creamy texture. This has gone a little bit harder because it's been a bit cold in my cupboard over the winter. But um, yeah, it's quite a good spreader. Though. It's quite a good spreader. It's good for putting it on your toast. Probably not the most complex out of the, the honeys here. Definitely not, actually. But um, it's got, definitely got a certain flavour profile. Yeah, what are you picking Gorgeous. up in that? Well, first of all, I think the texture is really almost buttery, isn't mm. it? It's really thick, really silky. It's got a wonderful mouthfeel, really smooth and luxurious. Lovely, delicate flavour. I really, really like it. I really like it. It's a very easy, mm. kind of accessible honey, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's not that complex. It's quite sweet. What I'd like to know is you can go in a supermarket and you buy, say, clear honey and it's very cheap. It might cost <coughs> £2, £1.80 a jar. Well, you know, and you know that's just not feasible. And it's usually imported. It'll come from probably China. And is that, are they allowed to put sugar in there to mix it up? Is there a legal... Can they do that? Because they do do that. I right? believe that to call something something, you've got to be 75% mm. of it. So you could mm. put other things in there. Mm. We staunchly don't do anything to our honeys. It's 100% spring honey, 100% autumn honey, whatever it is. Mm. Um, but yes, I believe that is true. You can put things in the honey. You're right. I know uh, the founder of one of the biggest honey companies in the country, and he imports most of his honey, and most mm -hmm. of that, he admits, comes from China. And a lot of Chinese honey is spurious. It's been tested to have sugar syrups in it, being adulterated. Um, so a lot of that stuff that you find on the supermarket uh, shelves could possibly not even be honey. Wow. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it's... Uh, honey is one of the world's most sort of adulterated foodstuffs. And one imagines, you know, given that honey has been around for millennia, um, it's a really pure and natural product. But unfortunately, the food industry across the world has really corrupted uh, the genuine honey industry. Uh, unfortunately, it can be common to find sugar syrups added in. And the problem is it's quite hard to trace and to test. Mm. And honeys can be um, of uh, multiple nationalities in terms of origin. So, I mean, it's a really murky and complex world. There's um, an, a documentary on Netflix um, that is rotten, rotten exactly. Um, it's probably worth watching. And there are lots of things to read if anyone's interested in learning more about it. But I think the simple answer is if you're not sure just buy from a trusted mm. producer yeah. buy local where you know that it has actually genuinely come from the hive you will pay more but you are getting honey mm. yeah i think it's something like uh chinese honey specifically costs five times less to produce than british honey so when people we, we've had it said to us a number of times over the years why is your honey so expensive my my question would be back to those people no why is the honey you're eating so cheap yeah mm -hmm. um because it's really probably not even honey yeah no and if you think about all the work that goes into mm. producing it, maintaining hives, and actually 
we should all be concerned about our bee population yeah. and we need to be looking after them and making sure that we have the pollinators around to support our whole ecosystem. Yeah. So you used to keep bees, did you? I still do. You yeah, still yeah. keep bees? They're in London. Paul and I started in our other guys. We were the ones on rooftops, you know, the bearded hipsters on rooftops. Oh, yeah, yeah. We moved them all to one location. Um, Paul's got bees in Somerset. I haven't really talked about our setup. We're all over the shop. I'm in Folkestone. He's in Somerset. Our bees are in London. <laughs> um, yeah, we, I still got bees and it's still one of my favourite parts of the job. I produce a London honey. Oh, can we mm. taste that one later? Uh, yeah, sure. Lovely. Um, but it's such a hard, uh, time-consuming job that I can only produce half a tonne of honey a year. 8,000 odd jars of honey mm. and that goes quite quickly. Um, we sell about 40 tonnes at the moment, so we've got to work with bee farmers all over the country. So another thing we do on our jars, which we'll talk further about, is we put the name, like I said, the beekeeper and the apiary on there so that you know where you're, the sort of the terroir and the... So you're like a collective of, of honey exactly, keepers. Yeah. So how does that work then? How do you all work together? I guess we're just trying to keep those guys producing honey and keeping afloat because... Like I was saying, British honey is five times more expensive than Chinese honey, but I don't know any beekeepers that are millionaires. Most, a lot of them, commercial bee farmers have got two jobs. Which one's that? Oh, summer honey. No, that's beautiful colour. So which, where's that from? That's from Peter in Hertfordshire, I think it says on the other side. Beautifully clear. Let me have a look. So I can see yes, the great Peter in Hertfordshire. Just the most lovely colour. Sort of light amber. It's fantastic. It's so got it's an bit, almost caramelly, mm. buttery sort of, oh, a depth to it. Wow. Absolutely stunning. Yeah, it's kind of almost got a sort of toffee mm. richness. It's absolutely beautiful. Almost a dessert honey. Yeah. A luxury honey to put on your yeah. yogurt in the morning. Yeah, or I think it would be sensational drizzled on top of a pudding. Yes, what else mm. have we got here? Is this one British Autumn? Yeah, so this mm. is from John in Yorkshire. This is so these the first two spring, like I say, mainly obviously rib with a few other wildflowers in there, Hawthorne, Dandelion. So multifloral. Some are also multifloral. This is monofloral, so this is 99.9% British Ling Heather honey. And mm. it's very bold, very dark. It's got a texture that's it's, it's called thixotropic. It's neither. Yeah. Mm. It's much more viscous. It almost looks mm. like a marmalade when you look into the. Yeah, it's almost jelly like. Almost like it's bubbly. What's going on there? It'll probably just be that it's slowly crystallizing. Slowly crystallizing. Yes, yeah. yeah, so you do see that quite often. Yeah. And Is that if it gets too cold? That will affect it, yeah. It depends on the fructose and glucose levels in the nectars in the honey. So different honeys will granulate quicker than others. Like this ivy sets like stone. That will take its time. The summer honey depends where it's from in the country. So, yeah, different honeys granulate at different speeds. That's something that we've tried to talk to customers about over the years because a lot of people expect a squeezy bottle of permanently runny honey and to get it into that state. It often has to be heat treated and ultra filtered, and so it's not a good thing for it to be so clear like that. I don't. Well, yeah, it depends what kind of what you're after. You know, some people just want something sweet to squeeze on their toast. Um, if you if you're more into your honey and you, you want to get something decent and you want to try some different flavour profiles, then yeah, go to your local beekeeper or try something mm. like this. So, I mean, we've all been there. You know, I look in the cupboard at home, look into my larder, and I've probably got four or five jars of crystallised honey. So. What can you do to change the texture of it when it crystallises? You can put it on your radiator in the winter. You can put it in a bain-marie, decant it, or take the metal lid off, put it in your microwave. Be careful not to overheat it because, yeah, you ruin all the goodness in it. It's a bit like um, cooking your carrots or boiling your carrots to death. If you overheat them, then you remove all the nutrients. So you've got to be careful heating it too much because that's, you know, you could spoil the health benefits. Yes, but it's that simple. Yeah. Just yeah. sort of gentle warming will exactly, liquefy yeah. it again. It can we take stick ours in the microwave Do and, you? and yeah. Uh, yeah, and probably for too long and probably ruin any health. <laughs> 
health credentials from it whatsoever. I want to try the Ivy one before Mm. we go on and have a have a chat to Jeff about his range Mm. as well. This is again 99% Ivy I hope. Um, They change from year to year there might be some other flowers around but it's the main flowering plant for that time of year and the the guy that produces this for us Felton yeah his hives are in a field of Ivy. It's quite pokey that one sort of got menthol sort of bitterness to it almost. Distinctive. Whoa. Supposed to be good for coughs that. You almost wouldn't know that was honey. I mean, it's quite crystallised, much more so than any of the others. There's quite a granular texture, which I really enjoy, almost crunchy. Mm. But the flavour is very mentholy, very sort of aromatic yeah. and fresh and mm. almost eucalyptus yeah. Really yeah. interesting. Yeah, kind of sweet menthol. Mm. Delicious. That is well, I hope I get a cold soon. <laughs> <laughs> that is sensational. And that's got a great taste star as well. That's really, really a taste experience, isn't it? Really fascinating. Hmm. What did you think of that one, Jeff? Have you tried it? No, I, I agree with what you say. Um, I'm guessing that it's crystallised a little bit. Yeah. And it is an issue sometimes. And we, we do have that with, with our honeys. We, we use acacia honey, which we buy and it's imported because we, we, we put honeycomb in there. And the honeycomb tends to then crystallise everything around it really quickly. They react. We get acacia honey, which, is, which really doesn't crystallise much at all, but it still does. And of course, trying to warm that up, and then you've got a honeycomb in the middle, <laughs> in danger of melting the honeycomb, and then you have wax on the surface. It's, that's a tricky mm. one. And when you were talking about the British spring one that's really creamy, that's where some hum- honeycomb is left in, isn't it, and blended together? No, this is just no? the structure of the nectars has been churned for so long. It's so complicated. I wish the, the woman who does this for us was here. So we, we don't jar our honey ourselves. We work with someone up in Lancashire. Family business has been doing it like 40-odd years. And essentially, that's what it is. It just breaks down the molecular structure of it slightly and keeps it into this creamy consistency. Because otherwise, it would set like stone a bit like the ivy honey. Oh, I see. That's fantastic. I never realised that. I always thought it was the inclusion of the actual wax from it. No, there probably will be a little bit in there. Not much. There's probably a bit more in this London honey if, if, if and when you want to try that one because that's oh. the sort of homemade variety that I've got. Oh, go on then. Let's do a quick honey while we're on honeys and then we'll we'll move mm. over because we've got some jams. So this is a rather special oh, one, isn't wow. it? So this is a three-star great taste. Yes, this is the so best So we know we're in for an experience here, AJ. These wow. three-star products don't come, a, come around very often, do they? There was a great, well, I'll let you all try it first, but there was a great description from a great taste judge. Um, that described it as elderflower and champagne. Oh, yeah, I can see that. There's the elderflower for sure, and, and the champagne I don't quite get. But. No, but almost um, like a fruit sweetness there. I think what's extraordinary is the length. Right now, I, I've still got the flavour, having swallowed, I've still got the flavour going on and on. It's beautiful. That is amazing. And I think, actually, it is quite quite delicate, despite its length. It's really, really sort of light, Um and, and, oh, it's just beautiful. I, I'm struggling to find the, the vocabulary to describe it, but I think elderflower is yeah, the is quite true. Doesn't taste of London. <laughs> I'll say that. I was about to say the same thing. Brilliant when people come up and say, oh, London, honey, there's a taste of pollution and smog. And then you try Really that. not. It tastes like the Mediterranean <laughs> or something. It's the complete antithesis of that. Yeah, but it's got that complexity, which I guess presumably is a lot of different flora in a, in a very kind of densely packed space. Exactly, yeah. So the... The other season, spring, summer, autumn, are a bee farmer might get three different crops. He might take his bees to the Aussie grape. He might move them to a summer crop and then move them onto the heather moors. Whereas our bees in London just sit still all year round and I harvest it once. So anything flowering from March till July will be in there. Very cultural. Very, very exposed. (laughs) 
I love that. It's really interesting. So, Jeff, tell us a little bit about your range here. What have you brought in for us to try? Well, I've got a few things. Um, I brought some fruits and liqueurs, which uh, which we can. I've got a rum toffee, which is quite a good thing to try because it's a variety of different fruits, and that's the one that you put in the jar over the season. So, um, if you imagine that in the spring you start off with strawberries, put a bit of sugar in, a bit of rum, and wait for the next crop to come along, uh, and gradually fill it up until until the autumn. You can even put apricots or or things towards the end, even dried fruit at the end. And then the whole thing, all the sugar melts over time, and by Christmas time you've got a rather nice um, selection of, of, uh, of alcoholic, very alcoholic fruits. Delicious. So we can, we can try that. I've got, also got some no-added sugar products. So we're, we've got a range of no-added sugar uh, preserves. Uh, we have to call them spreads because to be a jam you need a certain amount of sugar. Uh, so it's just uh, apple juice concentrate and fruit, um, and it makes it a light jam, a slightly soft set. Uh, you know, suitable for diabetics, um, but it's still got sugar, so you can't go get too carried away. But I've got I've, so mm. we're developing a range, not just a sweet preserves, but also savouries. We're working on. Where would you like us to start? Should we start with the? Well, why don't we start? Things we started with the. Well, let's open that one. That's that's the rum top. Rum top. The that'll rum get top. make you happy quickly. Fantastic. So this is a German tradition it of is, preserving yes. uh, soft fruit. It, it, it is a German tradition, yes. And you can buy these big rum soft jars. It's very full. I've just thrown it all over myself. Oh, <laughs> yeah, <sorry about> yes, <laughs> it's, uh, yes, I should have opened it. It's all right. I've got black trousers in. I'll just rub it in. People. <laughs> have a lick. It's nice and boozy, I imagine. <laughs> so I can see a strawberry, a blackberries on the top. There'll be strawberries, uh, red currants, black currants, blackberries and cherries. Oh, uh, and there should be some apricots in there. And that with, you know, a meringue nest, so eat and mest kind of thing. Mm, uh, lovely. Ice cream. Um, you know, it's, a, it's a rich mix. And anybody can do that at home. It doesn't need pasteurizing. Uh, some other fruits would need that. But that's got so much um, there to preserve it in it to start with. You can just... Just do it as you go during during the year. You can buy a rum top jar. Mm. Yeah, do you need to seal it between? No, nope. nope. when you do that at home, you don't seal it. You literally cover the fruit with sugar and literally cover that with alcohol. It doesn't have to be rum, but um, it could be another strong liqueur like whiskey or something like that or gin or otherwise. Uh, just as long as you cover the sugar, it'll just preserve the fruit and just wait for the next one. And you can just you can do a single fruit if you wish, but that's a bit pointless. It's more fun to see it, you know, Grow uh, and uh, by the end of by by autumn time, you've got a nice big full jar of of rum top. And where do you source your fruit? And um, well, it's it's a mixture. We we do import a fair bit of fruit, uh, but we buy we buy locally seasonally. Um, so a lot of strawberries and, and raspberries, red currants, um, plums, damsons. Uh, we'll all be local. Um, there are farmers now growing apricots, and we've not tried that yet. English apricot jam, but that's going to. That's going to come in due course. Fabulous. Yeah. Well, yes. I mean, that's exciting. It is exciting. So, so uh, it's. I think farmers, uh, until not recently, they were because they're almost they have to be semi-industrial to be to be to compete with imported fruit. They they produce on a very large scale, so they do like to sell to fresh to supermarkets. But we've got a rapport with with a number of producers whereby they they do keep fruit for us, mm. and we're trying to build that up so we can. We can have a, a purely British range at some stage, but we'd rather not say that because we can't guarantee it all year round. No, mm. that's exciting. Mm. Uh, the rum trough is fantastic. I love the texture of the mm -hmm. fruit. Mm. They've still got some bite. I was wondering how soft they'd be, but it, it, they are absolutely delicious. Well, they're not, they're not cooked. We, we, no. do, we actually do pasteurise ours because we can. Uh, mm. So they're probably a bit softer than if you did it at home. 
Yeah, uh, we really pasteurized nice. it to give it a nice, a good seal, but you, you, you wouldn't need to. No. I completely retained its texture. Though, yeah, a nice sort of restrained sweetness as well. It's sweet, mm. but you get the real true mm. flavour of the fruit as well. So I think that's really delicious. I'd be quite happy with that with some lovely Greek yogurt for yes, my pudding. Yes, I was thinking <laughs> that too. Well, it depends on the fruit. You know, that, that syrup there, it's rich. Yes. You don't want to throw it out of the way. That's got a mixture of the, the fruit juices and the alcohol and, and, and the sweetness. It's, uh, it's really part of it. So you've got to mm. make sure that whatever you use it with, you use the juices. Whereas something like, um, you know, peaches and brandy, it's really that the brandy will get in the peach, but the syrup, yes, you can use it, but it's, it's less less important. Interesting. Mm. So we've just tasted the blackcurrant jam now. Now, blackcurrant is one of Spread. my personal favourites. Yes. Lovely, um, sort of light, um, almost like a sort of slightly firm compote uh, texture. Mm. It hasn't got that sort of jellied texture of a jam. A very, very pleasant. Very pleasant, but very sweet as well. I was not expecting, because it says on the front, no added sugar. I was not expecting it to be as sweet as it was. So how have you created that effect? Well, the way it works, it's got a high fruit content. So it's roughly 50% fruit, um, actual fruit, and the other 50% is apple juice concentrate. We can use grapefruit concentrate, which is sweet in itself. But it means that the, the, the bricks content, if you like, which is just a sugar uh, mm -hmm. sweetness part of it, instead of being about 65%, it's, it's nearer the, the 50%. So it's still still got a sugar content, but it's it's easy to metabolize, um, and it's not as it's not as sweet as as a jam. Fantastic. Amazing. Now, AJ, you've got well, a jar of lemon curd in your hand there. <laughs> I know. I, I absolutely love lemon so curd. Do I. So I have I have high so hopes I. for this one. Oh, it's a lovely pale, lemony yellow color. Looks really beautiful. Hmm. This is one of the things I I just love it, but um, it is such a pain to make I'm always looking to buy a good quality mm. uh, lemon curd you know save an hour of sort of standing well, lemon curd's got it's got elements of the honey cheating uh, in, in supermarkets you will find a very cheap lemon curd but there, there's lots of things that you wouldn't normally have in there like margarine you know they use the cheap the cheap elements whereas we use we use butter which of course is is extremely expensive these days yes Ooh, so it's it's an expensive it. thing to make you've got butter and eggs and eggs have gone up through the, they've gone through the roof yeah so they're all the expensive ingredients so if, if you're finding a jar that's suspiciously cheap then you know the ingredients just aren't going to be there mm, that's fantastic mm. it's described as bittersweet and i would agree with that you've got the lovely mm. true citrus flavor and lots and lots of butter so creamy mm. creamy and rich that's a really lovely example mm. i think we've got time to taste one more thing and unbelievably we're getting near to the end of the show i picked up the chili jam oh, is yes, that a good one to finish yeah, absolutely. on absolutely that's a real that's a good one that's wow. a good one that's a it's one of our best um savouries if you like uh it's it's not hot it's mildly warm and uh, we put um, it's got chilies but it's also got uh, red peppers to to give it that peppery flavor without the chili bite and the thing with it is it's, it is relatively sweet but it's it's wonderful with uh with a lot of things so it's an all-rounder um bangers and mash uh perfect with sausages uh cheese a bit of brie i mean that that will outdo most other savouries that you might put on there like like fig fig paste or jam or otherwise uh, with fish, if you're going to steam some Lovely. fish mm. uh, in, in, in the oven, a bit of that, it, it becomes a sauce and it gives mm. it the flavour itself. So it's, it's a good, it's a fantastic all round. It's the one, if I had to have one product in my in my fridge, uh, there's a savoury, it'll be chilli jam. Mm, I, nice. I, love, I love mustard, I love all sorts of other things, but chilli jam is, is, is the one that's, it always gets brought out. It's always empty. Lovely sweetness, heat and mm. acidity. The really nice mm. product. Mm. It's more savoury than, you know, having tasted all these honeys mm. and jams. It was significantly more savoury, wasn't it, than some of the other flavours we've had. Really lovely, though. And it's quite contrast. a mild <laughs> burn coming in at the end, but very 
accessible in terms of the heat levels, yeah. I think. Well, like a lot of the products, you know, the, the honeys on, on on their own, they taste so different than when they're on a piece of toast or or in, in, in as a drizzle. So it's, it's surprising the flavor you get out of things if you taste them on their own. And, you know, I wouldn't eat chili jam on its own. Uh, you, you definitely need it as, as an accompaniment. Otherwise, it's it's just a bit too raw and strong. But it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful product. Delicious. No, that was fantastic. Now, you've been listening to the Food Talk Show, which is syndicated to radio stations across the UK and further afield. Available on Audible, Spotify, Podbean, iTunes and the podcast app on your phone. Don't forget, we're on Podcast Radio too. Thank you very much to my fellow presenter, Charlotte Pike. Thank you to our lovely guests, Chris Barnes and Jeff Higgins. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. Uh, we'll make sure we upload lots of links on our website to you guys of where we can get your products. Um, so you can find out more about these lovely companies. And if you want to syndicate our lovely program for free on your radio station, just get in touch with us on hello at foodtalk.co.uk. Or if you want to listen to any of our hundreds of past podcasts on topics from distilling tequila to cheese making, snail farming, chocolate tempering, please go to foodtalk.co.uk. Thanks very much. <laughs>